Hey, hey, everyone. This is Katie McGregor-Bennett, your host of AV Trade Talk, a new podcast that was recently launched to explore the stories about and behind the audiovisual trade. Today, I've got Mike Maniscalco with me, and you may recognize his name if you've been in the industry for, ooh, anything more over like the last 10, 12, 15, 14 years, but you may not have heard what he's up to now, and I happen to find it fascinating. It's also very topical. I'll let him dive into all of that, but first, I'd like to introduce Mike and let you get to know him a little bit based on his background. Uh, that, too, I think you'll find fascinating, but uh, many of you integrators, you'll find out that he's one of you. So without further ado, let me introduce Mike Maniscalco, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So where in the world are you today? I'm sitting in my hometown of Austin, Texas. Yeah. No way, no kind way. Of feels nice. It feels nice to both be home and sitting down. So, <laughs> <laughs> not chasing kids. Not, not chasing kids. And you know what's funny is I think this is probably the first time that we've done many podcasts together over the years. I, the first time that you might actually be in an office space sitting still and not in some way in between five other things. So I feel very honored to have your sole attention today. <laughs> like I said, it feels good to sit down. Yeah. 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 Enjoy this. You're sort of in the cone of, sort of cone of silence for the next half an hour. <laughs> so anyway, so a little bit of a, a hint there for those of you uh, just tuning in. Uh, Mike has a lot of kids and he's going to talk a little bit about that because believe it or not, it has to do a lot with what he's doing now with technology. So, so Mike, um, I've, I've known you for many years. I know a lot about you, but it isn't about me. It's all about you. Take us back a bit, if you would, and share with us what you, how you got into the industry, kind of your, your early career um, path in the industry, and ultimately what, what you're doing now and, and all of the stopping points in between. Yeah, so our path into the industry was non-traditional. Um, started in, basically, I came from the IT and software world. Um, so from, from the network world. And that really started in, at Bell South. I was in, which is now AT&T. Um, I was doing research and development for their emerging technologies department. And that was um, basically an organization that was looking at technologies that were seven to 13 years out on the horizon uh, and thinking about ways that Bell South could um, create services and offerings around those, those new technologies. To give you an example, Wi-Fi came through that lab. DSL came through the lab. Fiber to the home, one of our first deployments ever was, was done at that lab. Streaming TV, set-top boxes, um, voice over IP, all the stuff that you see today. Even voice application development in the late 90s we were doing um, in that, that group. So that's how I learned about home automation. Um, it was literally a, a PR project we had done within Bell South. And we met this guy who was doing this wicked awesome home theater and, and learned that he had a company that did this and said, wow, that's pretty cool that you can make a career doing this. Um, that was that moved on, went into the corporate world, uh, doing software and really didn't enjoy that too much. Got into the home automation industry and found out I really enjoyed it <laughs> quite a bit. So, um, not long after that, I started a home automation company in South Florida in the Palm Beach, Florida market. Um, and we were, at the bleeding edge of IP adoption in home automation. Our business was kind of built around using the network to create home automation and entertainment systems, which at that time in the world, for those who've been in the industry long enough, IP was a four letter word. <laughs> RS-232 was the standard, right? No. Um, we suffered through a lot of the early pains, but also knowing how resilient and scalable and um, awesome IP was, I knew we'd get there eventually. So. Uh, that's how I kind of got into the industry. Um, me and two other guys started that company. And within that company, we 
did two things that are probably relevant to this uh, this group. Um, the first is we created recurring revenue service contracts, um, which you've probably heard me talk a lot about over the decades. Um, One of the primary evangelists, I believe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I credit our ability to sell that automation company, that integration company, uh, a lot of that to the fact that we had some recurring revenue in place with our service contracts. So that was one thing we did differently. And the reason we sold is because we developed a remote monitoring and management tool within that company to service our high-end customer base um, proactively. And we decided we wanted to commercialize that. So we spun that technology out of our integration company, sold the integration company, moved from Florida to Austin and started Ahiji uh, in 2010. So that's uh, that's the short, the short story of how I got here uh, into this chair today. <laughs> yeah, and so Ihiji, several of you, many of you out there will remember I H I J I, and it was really funny over the years hearing hearing people try to figure out how exactly to pronounce it. Matt Scott of uh, Avian Nation and Omega TV, I'm going to call you out because yours is still the best. It was Ihiji. <laughs> <laughs> I've been called a lot of things in my life, but never that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. How dare you? How dare you? No, but, you know, it was funny because for as, as challenging as the name was to for people to remember, it also became that name that people remember just because it was, you know, what, what does it mean? And for many, many years, it was synonymous with recurring revenue, RMR, um, and, and remote network management, which um, for quite some time was really early, early stages and early days. I know you guys had some challenges in, in sort of, getting that the greater message to to be heard and understood by the integration community of, you know, may not necessarily be the thing for today, but tomorrow you're going to need it. And of course, this was what, 10, 11, 12 years ago. Um, so talk a little bit kind of about those challenges then. And, and uh, it, it, it's all the big setup for, for what you're doing next, but sort of the importance of the network has as, over, over, uh, over the course of the last few years and this technologies have evolved. Yeah. Um, man, there's so many things I could talk about on that one. I know. I, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I think one of the things we realized, you know, six or seven years in Haiti is we were five years early, early to the party. Um, we, we were truly, you know, educating the industry on these opportunities that existed with uh, RMR and service contracts and how you might package those and offer your customers. And we were at the bleeding edge again with IP connectivity, even, even when we started Haiti, you know, home networking was still a pretty immature product category. Um, and the industry was still, getting comfortable and kind of used to managing networks and becoming network administrators is what we, what happened. Um, but you know, we, we stepped up to the challenge, I would say, and we took it upon ourselves to help educate the industry and move the industry forward um, in embracing that. And I think ultimately that's one of the reasons that led us to um, have a product that was, that somebody else found value, found value in when control four acquired it uh, control Four now, I guess, snap AV. Um, so it, it was really interesting to watch that category evolve and all the other players that kind of grew up around that. Um, and now to go the handful of times I step back into the studio world, right. Um, to go on the conversations and have service contracts and RMR and remote monitoring, just be standard conversations. It feels really, it's really cool <laughs> to, to, to sit and listen to people just kind of spread the word um, that we fought so hard to, to get out there for so long. Yeah, yeah, and and that was a that was a drum that you were beating on very loudly for for very for a very long time. And it, it, likewise, you know, I'm I'm very proud of the work that you guys did in the early days, and that you had the resilience to stick with it. Um, you know, clearly that that message um, it 
resonated and paid off. Um, and right. congr- congratulations to you guys. It's been some time since, but you know, congratulations ultimately for the for the sale of, of Ahiji to Control Four. Um, you know, I think at the time that be, that was that was an indicator and an illustration of how important this category had become, um, and really as as a foundational aspect of of an installation. And um, you know, just knowing that you guys were early architects of of that is. It's just really cool. So, uh, <laughs> and it's led it's led to other other things. Um, so, kind of a bit of a segue here. Um, you have uh, you have a personal connection to the, the, the next phase of your career, um, and I'll let you, I'll let you kind of give the, the the greater the greater meaning there. But Better Living Technologies um, is the current venture, and where you and I reconnected a few weeks ago on. Sort of where is Mike today? Um, talk to us a little bit about sort of your transition from um, AV and technology management and monitoring from a um, perhaps more entertainment-based situation to a technology uh, monitoring and management from a health, life, safety, or wellness. There's a buzzword. We're going to hear a lot more about this. We'll come back to that term later, but um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, it's a really easy because I think the story – just naturally tells tells itself, you know, as you look at the things I had done and, and kind of the R&D efforts around home entertainment and, and smart home systems and IoT, and then you look at the home automation company we started and all this technology we're deploying in, in large-scale homes, and then you get into this world of remote monitoring for IoT uh, for support and services. What happened is personally, my world was up turned upside down uh, in August of 2016. Um, in many ways. So the first, um, and, and really the inspiration for this was my son was diagnosed with, uh, one of my sons was diagnosed with type one diabetes, um, which is an autoimmune disorder, um, where there's no known cure. And basically your body stops its ability, loses its ability to produce insulin. And before the 1920s, that was a death sentence. Um, luckily there was the invention of insulin then. Um, but what that means is for the rest of his life, he'll be taking insulin and insulin makes your blood sugars come down. Um, so it keeps them under control, but it can also make it come down too far. It's a, it can be a lethal drug. So as a parent, <laughs> my world changed then because now I was managing this for an 18 month old child, um, truly hundred percent dependent on me. Uh, so that happened, let's see, two weeks after he was discharged from the hospital, um, from the diabetes diagnosis, we found out my wife was pregnant with twins. So that also happened in August, 2016. So it was a <laughs> it was wild a, month. <laughs> that, that was a big month. That yeah. So let's just say I was, uh, I was feeling the stress. Um, <laughs> so trying to adjust to this new life and, and plan for the future. And, you know, diabetes is, it's a hard disease. I think it's harder than and most people appreciate and that it is 24, seven, 365. There are no breaks. It's nonstop. And that's a huge burden for the people living with the disease. And it's a huge burden for the people caring for the people uh, that are living with it. And as a, as a parent, you know, you, you are that person caring for your child. So um, you're up all night long, like literally every two at, after diagnosis, you're generally up every two hours checking blood sugar levels. So you're not sleeping. And with three other kids in the house, you're barely sleeping anyway. So um, I, I was trying to figure this out. Um, I was not sleeping there was this technology that I found out about the last day we were in the hospital called a continuous glucose monitor. And it's basically, uh, um, I struggle sometimes with the ways to describe it. It's like a bandaid with a needle on it that sticks on his arm that takes the continuous measurement of his blood sugar and spits that out every five minutes. 
Um, so it's remote patient monitoring uh, if, if you really want to boil it down to the basics. Is that, so I've, I've seen, um, typically it's in teenagers and whatever, but it almost looks like a rubber, like a little rubber patch kind of thing, maybe on the back of their arm, on the back of yep. the, like it's that. Okay, perfect. Yeah, most people wear it on their arm. Um, some people wear it on their backs or bellies. or There are other okay. places, but a lot of times you'll see people wearing it on their arms. Um, okay. And there's several different flavors of it now and the world is becoming more and more common uh, as they become more accurate. So they're, they're, they're as accurate as a finger prick now. So um, nobody likes pricking their finger. If you've got type one diabetes, you literally have to prick your finger every, you know, generally about every two hours um, or you wear a continuous glucose monitor that removes the need for that. So the no brainer for me was he's a little kid. I don't want to prick his finger every two hours. Uh, let's get a continuous glucose monitor that spits the data out. Uh, I also understood this whole concept of remote monitoring and they had an app on a cell phone um, that you could look at the number. I'm like, this is fantastic. This is my world. I wish I knew about this you know, five days ago before when we first got admitted to the hospital, it would have been here already. Um, it must've been a, quite a relief for you to come across that, that at least there's something that you, can help you start to make sense of all of this. I was excited. Um, but like, there were a few things that happened. So he also got an insulin pump. So he was a little guy, right? Um, which means the doses of insulin he's taking are literally smaller than a teardrop. Like they're tiny little doses of insulin at a time. And to administer that through a, a syringe is really difficult to do that with precision. And these things can swing his blood sugars, like the difference between life and death, another drop. So um, we put him on insulin pump right away because he can do micro doses basically. Um, so I was excited because I found out about these technologies. I was like, this is, this is cool. I'm a tech guy. This is what I want. I want to know how, how we can use these tools to our favor. But, you know, fast forward five days or not even, I guess we had them like overnighted. So fast forward two days and you get these boxes and it's like Christmas. I can't wait to get this out and start using it. And you unbox these things and you start using it. And the experience was just disappointing. Um, all around, like the experience of the products, the experience of the configuration, the, just generally, it felt like an a flip phone in an iPhone era. Like everything, all the state of the art felt like it was 10 years behind. And I think the perfect example, and there's a, there's a moral to all of this, the perfect example, and, and this crowd will appreciate it, is his insulin pump. You upload the data to the cloud, right? Um, and then you do analysis on the data and you can see how much insulin he's taking and you know how it's doing for his body. And it helps you make adjustments to his medications. Um, well, you would think that's just Bluetooth or even streaming like 3G, 2G, something enabled. Uh, but no, you actually get a USB plug, you plug it in, you put the cradle on the desk, you dock, you take the pump off of it, you dock the pump, you make sure that it lines up with the little thing because it's lined up because it actually uses infrared IR technology, <laughs> the same thing we use for slide projectors in like the 1980s uh, to transmit his data from the pump to the cloud. And I think that was a light bulb kind of moment is that that is where the industry was. And if you look at IOT and you look at all these things happening outside of the medical world, outside of the healthcare world, we're so far ahead. But if you look at the healthcare space, IOT is still very, very new um, to the point where I learned later that the continuous glucose monitor is kind of leading the way for healthcare IOT adoption. Type one diabetes is one of the, the most connected diseases with this biosensor that he wears. Um, and that is where this whole, my world's kind of started to collide when I realized that I can get real-time data from this IoT device and then take that data and do really interesting things. I said, well, I know remote monitoring and I know home, home automation. 
what if I use those things to help me with a sleep problem? And that's exactly what I did. Um, so if his blood sugars go too low overnight, the, the, it's really kind of, it's scary stuff. Like they call it dead in bed syndrome. Like the blood sugars will go too low and the child won't wake up. He'll go into a coma and pass away overnight. And that as a parent is like insanely stressful. It's not common, but it happens. You hear the stories. Um, so that's what I'm thinking about overnight, not sleeping. And I said, well, what if I could set up this continuous glucose monitor data feed to go to, uh, to first my smartwatch, my pebble watch, and maybe it can buzz me if his blood sugars go dangerously low overnight. I wake up, I give him a few jelly beans and his blood sugar comes up magically. It's just, it's that easy to treat if you catch it. Um, you know, that worked except every time I got a text message or an email overnight, my watch would buzz and I'd woke, wake up panicking about tech and um, I turned it off. Quickly. Still not helping. Still not helping with <laughs> that sleep thing, but you're, yeah. you're onto something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like that night, I'm turning the buzzer off and I'm like, I got to figure something out. And I looked at my wall and I have this home automation system right in my house. I, I got this mixed match of various technologies in my home that I had played with over the years. And I said, what if I can connect that blood sugar data to the lights so that if his blood sugars go too low or right, it just turns on the lights and wakes me up and it worked and it worked and it worked and it worked and it worked. And, um, you know, three years later, uh, it still works. If his blood sugars go too low overnight, that light turns on in my house to try to alert me. And that's where these worlds really kind of met each other. And it went on as a hobby for a long time. I, I learned about this DIY community of, you can call them hackers. You can call them makers. You can just call them a community of, of technology guys that were in similar situations where they said, well, what if we did this? And what if we did that? And they started creating their own solutions to do that. And, uh, I just really enjoyed every moment I spent with them. Um, I learned so much and I improved the quality of care for my son and for our family. Um, I, con I continued down that path for a, for a long time, but then I started thinking about all these other things you might be able to do with this technology. And that's the long story of how I ended up doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so this is it. For those of you listening, this is this is where I kind of started to get the goosebumps moments where you know Mike has been able to to really apply in a very meaningful manner um, everything that he's he's been working for to the to this point. And um, while it's very very sad and shocking that um, how quickly your life was turned upside down, um, I, I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason. And um, you know, couldn't have happened to a better guy as in you to be the one that is sort of addressing this and head on and utilizing all of the knowledge that you've, you've gleaned so far and garnered. Um, I just, you know, it's, man, you were in such a powerful position. <laughs> so a couple of, a couple of things from the information that you shared with um, beforehand and definitely fill, fill in here. But um, as you had mentioned, you know, it's, one of, it's, it's one of those diseases that has no known cure. Um, I, I would say that it's probably one of the uh, more underappreciated diseases as well. I'm myself, I don't know enough about it, but uh, my husband came from the medical field. So it definitely has been one of those things that we've talked about quite a bit, but it hasn't touched me personally. Um, but as you're, you had noted, diabetes is the seventh leading cause of death. 425 million adults have diabetes, and that's growing to 522 million by 2030. And the economic burden of diabetes is an estimated 1.3 trillion. And the numbers are just staggering, and I know that they're, they're compounding every day. Um, your situation is, is not unique, but is definitely um, one of the greater challenges of you know, how, to, how can we this information being recorded, tracked, and then used to um, create the best possible outcome. Um, and so I think with that sort of being the setup, so now with all of this fabulous newfound knowledge, what are you, what are you doing with it? What's, uh, what, what, 
where, where are you going with all of this? Yeah. So like, we're still at the early stages of all of this. I think when you look at diabetes, it's hard because there, there are two flavors, two types of diabetes. There's type one and type two. So type one is what my son has. It's auto, autoimmune. So basically your organs stop, lose their ability to produce insulin. Um, your body attacks those cells and kills them off and it can't do it anymore. Um, and there's no, really, they don't quite know why or how it happens. There's some genetic components, but it's a big area of, of study and research. Um, but then you've got type two diabetes, um, which is more behavioral driven. So your habits and behaviors over time beat up your body and slowly it, your body loses its ability to produce insulin over years and decades. Right. So, um, diabetes type one diabetes is a much smaller problem. It's about one and a quarter million people in the U S and generally it was called juvenile diabetes for a long time, but generally you're talking about children, but it's, it's not entirely true because there's older onset type one diabetes too. Um, the challenge is type two, once you get to the stage of insulin uh, dependence looks more like type one. Um, but when you think of market sizes, you're talking about one and a half million versus 30 million people. Type two diabetes is a much bigger problem. Um, you know, I don't think we're at a point where the technology is cost effective or broadly adopted enough to really build a business around the type two diabetes space for what I'm doing, but it's definitely part of the future and, and where I th see things going. So right now we're focused on the smaller side of it, um, which is nice. It's a nice small test market. Um, but then like when you think about the bigger picture of all of this, this is, like I said, this is, it was a hobby for a long time. So um, within a year of diagnosis, I found out about the annual ADA, annual American Diabetes Association meeting. Um, it's kind of like the CEDIA Expo <laughs> or CEDIA show um, for the diabetes industry. It's an industry event and it's all scientific presentations and you know, academic researchers and physicians. It's not like a, a consumer kind of conference. It's a trade, trade, trade show. Um, I found about this event. And at that point I was like, you know, I really want to just, I want to take control as much control over the situation as I can. So I crashed that, that professional meeting. Um, and I learned, I learned so much. I met the, the do it yourself kind of maker community, um, got a true appreciation for how people were pushing kind of the bounds of innovation around this, um, started thinking about all the different opportunities to, to do more with this type of technology. Um, and then really came back and said, you know, what, what are the other opportunities? And I, I wrote some articles for CE Pro about this. Like, what are some other opportunities to do more with the technology that we have in people's homes? Like that's, that was the thought exercise I was going through. And it was literally just because I, I wanted to write those articles and get the word out and start some brainstorming. This is well before I had any plans to, to do what I'm doing um, that I, you know, I started thinking about the different applications of how do you help people live happier, healthier, um, whether that's to manage a chronic disease like diabetes or just to help them meet their health and wellness goals. Like there, we've gotten to a point, and this is what I realized with my experiment in my own house with my lights. Like I have, it's hard because the industry people shake their heads when I say this, but I have a Frankenstein's monster of consumer electronics devices as my home automation system. You it's, know, my, my it's <laughs> super like high the end. It's okay. It's like the cobbler's shoes. It goes back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we all it was always that. a living lab, right? I have these super high end home automation systems that can, you know, launch a space shuttle in space and keep it running while it's up there with 
you know, extreme reliability collecting dust in my attic while I have, you know, the inexpensive stuff that's $25 on Amazon all over my house. Right. It just became this experiment lab for me. And I think that's one of the things that enabled this trial. Right. I said to myself, if this $99, you know, Samsung smart things and GE switch is reliable enough and cost effective enough to do this stuff that is potentially life-saving, you know, we're not there yet, but it could potentially be life-saving. Right. Um, We're not there yet because it's not, legal to we don't have enough data to say that we can save lives right we, we just haven't been operating for long enough we, we haven't built the system to do that yet but i think we could get there over time um but if literally you're talking about 125 dollars of consumer electronics that could has the potential to save somebody's lives like you know in a literal sense a light bulb went off and said this is pretty amazing that it's this reliable this cost effective and three years later, I still have the belief that we can get there with these inexpensive consumer electronics devices. And then walking around CES, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, um, this is, I guess, the 2018, uh, January 2018, you're looking at every, you walk in LG's booth and every appliance that they were showing was connected to the network. And you walk into Samsung's booth and every appliance they were showing was connected to the network. You start to think about, well, there's two different things happening. You've got opportunities to interact You've got interfaces all over people's homes now, right? These smart fridges and Alexas and lights, like these things I'm talking about are interfaces and smart TVs. Every TV is smart. Now you don't buy a dumb TV anymore. Um, All these things are interfaces that you can interact with people to do better. And then in combination with that, you've got all these things that have sensors that can tell you when somebody did something, how often they did something. Um, Yeah. That's really interesting. And what you can do as far as use cases, um, yeah, that, that's where I really started thinking about, can this technology be used to nudge people to help them, you know, like I said, live happier, healthier, meet their goals. Um, but we're starting at Better Living Technologies with helping parents of children with type 1 diabetes, like getting really granular on you know, how we're doing this. And we're starting with really simple use cases that don't, don't exist in the world. And that's these lights. So it, it's... It's almost too simple in my mind as like a, a geek, right? You're talking about smart lights, tying it to a medical device um, that's becoming a standard of care and doing if this, then that kind of triggers on the data. But you want to do it in a reliable way. You want to do it in a secure way. You want to think about pr- patient privacy. You want to think about this potentially could be a life-saving device. How do you engineer and architect it for that over time? Um, yeah, so that, that's kind of, that's, that's, that's where we're starting. Um, and the technologies, I say this a lot. Um, the technology is the easy part. Like it's there. <laughs> um, the hard part is the people and the design um, and doing all of this thoughtfully. Um, like that's the hard part that of this equation that I'm still trying to figure out. So we're going to market with this alert light and another light that changes colors based on blood sugars. And really the applications are on the behavioral side of, of the sciences. So it's how do you help people reduce stress? How do you help people reduce anxiety how do you help people sleep better? How do you reduce the burden by making this information more accessible? Um, that's what we're focused on with the company. So we started selling the product just recently, um, which is kind of exciting uh, to, to get it off the ground. And then we're also kind of going down the path of forming partnerships with some of the companies in the space, the larger companies in the medical device space um, and getting, you know, exploring funding opportunities to, um, I guess get some proof points around what we can do to improve some of the things I mentioned, both quality of life, uh, burden, 
um, stress, anxiety, those types of measures, but also outcomes. Does this actually have the ability to impact outcomes? And then what other things can we layer on beyond the lights to improve that even more? So um, it's still a baby. <laughs> the startup's still a baby, but um, it's definitely, you know, it's, it's growing quickly. Well, and the startup space is definitely something you know, uh, you're very comfortable in. And uh, I know you know how to navigate the space like no one else. Um, but I, you know, it also, I know it also comes with, uh, it, it was fraught with challenges and comes with many sleepless nights in and of itself. So you, you've kind of got a, a double double decker thing going on here with it. <laughs> the stress of the situation that's causing the sleepless nights, but then the, the stress of the startup environment. So um uh, uh, good on you for, for, for sticking with it. Um, you look as though you're getting sleep, which tells me that yeah. this is, uh, this is, this is taking, taking root. And, uh, I'm glad I look that way. It must be the, the tea and the coffee. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, I, I say this a lot. I, I started, you know, two other startups, um, before right? started and sold these two other startups before this, but I'd never done it with a family. So it definitely changes a lot. You know, it's, you can't, can't quite put in as many hours. Um, you've got other things that you have to pop up that you have to juggle. You've got the diabetes that you have to juggle. Um, and you've got a whole different set of responsibilities <laughs> that you're trying to, to juggle too. So it's, it's different. Um, yeah, it's, that's, it's been a learning experience. Um, like, really understanding what I can do. And the, the other interesting thing for people who are in the startup world is the other two businesses I started were with two guys that I've known and trusted for a long time. So there were three, three of us um, where we had a really great you know, relationship and that meant you can get almost three times the output, <laughs> um, you know, go, going into this one alone. Um, it's been different because when we sold, so the transition plans and things like that, that went around with the acquisition, kind of all three of us founders went our, our separate ways because of that. And then because this is my personal tie into it, this is the path I decided to go. So that's, that's been interesting too. So if you're out there thinking about it, um, yeah, I think realizing that having, having other people on your team, not only helps from a support perspective, but you get more done. <laughs> like um, I do, I do miss a little bit of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's tough too. And you don't just sort of have those resources to, to bounce ideas off of, or, you know, just, uh, not necessarily even bounce ideas off, but, but take an idea too and, and sort of help flesh out. Um, and I know you guys used to do, you could do a lot of collaboration on that with your former life, but you know, that, that, that comes and, you know, as, as the new venture continues to, to grow, you know, that'll come back around. Come back around. Yeah. Well, luckily Stuart's so Stuart was like uh, primary co-founder, right. in the last two companies. Um, so luckily we're still good friends <laughs> and we, we still get together <laughs> pretty regularly and he's back at you know he's he's back in the startup game too um so we get together and we can still put our heads together and uh, for that side of things but yeah. uh yeah but the, i still don't have the horsepower side of the equation figured out <laughs> i think Stuart. so the Stuart wrench is, is who we're talking about i think he was the one that introduced the term of the, the serial entrepreneur to me as uh, as a self-admission by by himself many years ago <laughs> that's that's just his thing you know and uh, yeah. and, and yours as well and you know it's I, uh, it's one of the, the environments I enjoy and appreciate and, um, you know, it's how you and I got to know each other, but, you know, I just, I love the creative sort of the, the unleashed creative spirit, um, and the, that those environments tend to, um, showcase and feed, uh, and, you know, just the amazing concepts that come out of it. So, um, of which this one, Better Living Technologies, um, uh, is, is, and so this is going to be a really cool one to, to 
continue to, to catch up with you on and learn more about. Um, but I want to make sure that we've, we've kind of clearly identified. So um, exactly what is the what is the what is the product that you're you, you said you're going to market? So just reiterate what what exactly that is. And for anybody who's listening to this, if they're interested in getting to know a little bit more, what's what's that path look like for them now? We'll get into contact info all the way at the end here, but. Yeah, so um, you can actually check it out. If you just go to betterlivingtech.net, it's all there. You can buy the product on the website now. So it's it's live. It's still in a beta, right? Still, we're still kind of fine tuning things and refining it. Um, but it's got it's going. It's in people's homes. Families are using it. It feels good. Uh, so the product is designed for families. Um, usually, it's it's parents of children with type one diabetes, and it is designed to integrate with their continuous glucose monitor. So that if blood sugars go below or above a, a threshold, we have a light that turns on to alert them. So think my use case sleeping, right? The one, the first one I told you about. And the other um, product or, or feature alongside of it is we've got a light that also changes colors. Um, so for the, the older crowd, you'll get the term mood light. It's like a mood light. <laughs> um, for the younger crowd, it's a color shifting light. Um, and I've learned that that's just, just that just gets lost in translation. So those are the two ways to think about it. Um, so the, the mood light or color shifting light literally changes colors based on your blood sugar levels. So throughout the day, your blood sugars swing from high to low. If you've got type 1 diabetes, pretty drastic and dynamic swings. And your job as managing is to stay in between, in, in a healthy range, in between two lines as tight as you possibly can. But, you know, they're extreme fluctuations. So this light allows you to kind of passively visualize how your blood sugars are moving throughout the day. Um, so for me as a parent, I keep one on my desk at, at work so that all day I can watch Zach's blood sugars what he's at school and see if something's off or see if something needs attention um, and kind of get a comfort level, um, relieve some of the stress, relieve some of the burden. Um, I'm able to go about my day by doing that. So that's the product we're launching with. Um, so two lights and a middleware that you know kind of aggregates this data and then makes decisions on what to do with that data and communicates that to the, the lights as interfaces. Um, and then the plan is to layer on other interfaces like voice. That's a really good example. Um, they're, they're, I've got his, personally, I've kind of taken this to the extremes. Um, go figure. <laughs> I've, got it, I've got it on my watch. Like I guess blood sugar is on my smartwatch. It's on a widget on the home screen of my app. It's on my smart, my Samsung smart fridge. When I open the fridge, it's right there on the home screen. Um, it's in my Alexa, it's, uh, where else do I have it on my laptop? You know, just about anywhere and everywhere I can distribute it. I want it. Um, that's kind of the, the general goal is to think about how you interact with people in the home, at school, on the go, at work to help around managing the disease. And the lights are just our starting point. It was a, a really easy place to start that has an immediate impact. Okay, cool. Cool. So in looking at in looking at some of the information you gave me um, prior to the show, um, so you've gone through the direct-to-consumer phase. Um, pl- platform partners now kind of coming online, distribution partners, and then next coming up, kind of talk through those those last three boxes on that page. Yeah, I mean, I was really nervous about getting into the healthcare industry, um, honestly. It, no, it no is, kidding. It's big. It's intimidating. There are a lot of systems and misalignments that – are just frustrating as an entrepreneur, right? To, to think about the one thing you're doing may be best for the patient, but it may not be best for the per- pay- person paying for that, that product or service. So you have to think about these types of things. Um, it moves at the pace that healthcare moves um, <laughs> to, to say it nicely. Uh, and a lot of it is you know, financially driven. So um, to get something like an insurer to pay for a solution, you have to prove that it, 
improves outcomes, which lowers costs. So that's going to take us some time, but that's where we ultimately want to get. So we're starting with direct consumer because that allows me to get out there and sell it today, right? Within a year of, of starting this business, I've got a product that you can go buy. Um, if I was going down a different path, that could take me 18 to 36 months right? um, with a lot more risk. So we're starting there, but looking at other ways to broaden distribution as, as the technology matures, as we get more data. And a lot of it is right now is focused on potential grants and research projects and academic partnerships we can get to measure and improve those outcomes. So that's, that's where a lot of my time is going. Um, it just takes, you know, unfortunately I have to exercise my patience a little more <laughs> than I, than I used to, cause it takes more time. Um, so, but that's, those, those are a lot of things that I'm working on every day. And then, you know, I, I really have a lot of, I'm really optimistic about all the different things we can do as far as layering on more products and features. Um, but until I have a little more resources, like, I haven't been able to do as much of that, but I kind of, because I hinted at some of the things we're, we're looking at. We've got prototypes and proof of concepts of a lot of this, but it's not ready for, it's not quite ready for the market. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So really, really, really interesting. Um, it, for those of you who are listening in, if you haven't figured out there's, there's an opportunity for you here on a number of opportunities actually. So if this, um, if diabetes is close to home, um, this is definitely a conversation to, uh, so rewind, listen, rewind, listen, perhaps share also with, with those who are affected. If you're interested in or a part of the investment community, take a look at this. Um, definitely, um, I think the, the proof is in the product and the product is already on the market. And with Mike's background and especially sort of the, um, the, the test bed, such as you will, that he had with, with his own family, lots to consider here. Um, and, you know, I, I, I say that enthusiastically, um, just uh, Mike is a good friend, but also this, this, where this is going is, is absolutely needed. And uh, to see, to see that you guys are well out in front. Um, but, um, you know, I think, I think that's amazing. So really, really, really interesting. Um, I don't, I don't want to shift gears entirely, but I do want to make a connection back so that, uh, so that those who know you do understand that you are still part of the AV community and uh, are, you're the chair of the CDA Tech Council, right? Right. Yeah. So I, I do want to stay connected because I think, you know, there's, these worlds are so closely connected and related. Um, you know, there's a lot happening in the smart home space and the IoT space uh, and the services arena that there's just, yeah, so many opportunities and, and, um, and synergies that I see. So I have to stay pretty connected to CDA. Uh, so I'm chairing the CDA Technology Council. That's like my my to that and what i love about that group it's something i've been doing since we had the integration company i've been involved with the tech council um is you're kind of staying up to date on the the latest trends and technologies that are kind of emerging around the space and health and wellness is definitely bubbling up as something that people are paying attention to and should be um because it's not just about disease management for people with life-threatening diseases you can help people um live better live longer live happier live feel younger like these are the opportunities people are looking at around health and wellness. Um, and there's some really interesting things happening um, with simple air quality monitoring and, you know, circadian lighting solutions, things like that to, um, you know, more, I guess, assistive technology that can help people live in their homes longer um, or independently longer to how do you help people with specific conditions like um, type one diabetes um, live in their homes happier and healthier with less burden uh, and lots of things in between all those um, that, that I think are really interesting. So um, yeah, so that's what I do with the tech council like from the AV perspective, which takes me to CDA and ISC and some of these 
you know, some of these events in the industry still. So it's good to, cause I, you know, I, I, I don't think I really appreciate it till I was out of it on a day to day, but I do miss the relationships and the people that, you know, you build after being in a smaller industry like this for so long. Um, yeah. 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 So it's good to see everybody when, when, when I get the chance. Definitely. You know, and it's, I, I often, you know, I make reference to the integration community and it really is such a strong, strong community. Um, and it's, and it's funny with you in particular, it's, um, you know, we've, we've worked together over, over the, over the years. And so it's funny when I, I tend to be somewhere where you're not, there's always a question, have you seen Mike lately? Or I have seen Mike lately. Have you heard what he's up to next? And that quite honestly, it was Nathan Holmes at Access Networks that had mentioned, um, had, had mentioned that he had the, talking to you on a tech council thing recently and had I caught up with you and I was like, no, you know, er, I haven't actually, well, what's he up to? And yeah. so, yeah, <laughs> so the community was backing up the community and making sure the community was staying connected. Um, and that's, you know, it, that, that's one of the greatest things um, that I enjoy about, about the industry, but, um, but, you know, especially the community aspect with this content, with this topic and, um, and what you're doing, you know, it really is, it's, it's fascinating. So, you know, I think it's, it'll be, um, I'd love for the community to engage with this to better understand, you know, what you've gone through, but also the the very meaningful and intentional application of technology to um, to better an outcome, um, reduce burden and reduce stress and, and all of that. I mean, you had mentioned the health and wellness as being a really big, um, it is a really big topic and it is, um, you know, quick, quick sidebar. So CD Expo for those of you on the residential side um, in September, health and wellness and wellness technology is going to have a really large footprint, um, small for what it is, but large for what we're used to on the show floor. Um, big advocates in the industry include Julie Jacobson, CE pro. Um, as you know, CE pro was acquired by Emerald, Emerald expositions. Emerald also puts on CD expo and owns the expo. So there's, you will, you'll see that there's a lot of correlation there between um, what Julie's writing about and what the um, expo show floor is also making available in this space. Um, so definitely, um, you know, definitely take a look at that. It's, it's not just a buzzword. It really is. Um, it's a, it's a category that's growing and it's, I believe it's really going to take off in 2020, especially as more brands get into it. Mike, jump in here. Cause I know you've also, um, you've kind of been touching on this bit with, with custom wellness solutions and things like that from a design perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd say we're still, even within my startup, we're still learning a lot. Right. Um, and one of the things I, really appreciate about the Cedia community is the way it's evolved uh, for starters, right? Um, you know, the state ahead of the technology changes, but you know, for all the talk about is, is the integrator going to have relevance tomorrow, right? That, that's been a conversation that comes up every year for as long as I've been in the industry. Is this technology going to threaten and kill off, you know, the CD integrators jobs and it still hasn't happened and I don't see it happening. I think one of the greatest strengths of the custom integration community is the custom piece of it. And the fact that there is this, there's a market for custom solutions and especially on the high end um, where I think it's a great learning opportunity. I think it's a great opportunity for integrators to start thinking about doing custom technology solutions around health and wellness. Right. So um, if you're talking to clients and I think there are a couple of integrators just starting to explore this about so I met with an integrator in South Florida and he's like, the, the customers here will pay and do anything to feel younger. Right. Um, and that's reflected in, in, you know, he said it in, in everything they do. Um, and he said, if you can help them feel younger and healthier in their homes, we should be doing that with air quality, with air purification, with water, with 
uh, this whole concept of biophilia with maybe they've got a special needs or maybe they've got a, a disease. Like how can you help them with that? Do it not out of prepackaged way, but design a custom solution for that. That's the, that's the roots of this industry, right? So I've yet, you don't see enough people doing it around health and wellness yet. I'd love to kind of talk to integrators who are exploring that and see if there are ways that we can work together to, to think about it and put our heads together. Um, Cause it's really, I think the opportunity is there. The opportunity to help people is there, right? The opportunity to potentially create a business unit around it is there. The technology is 100% here. Um, yeah. I, I just, I, I think that, there's something in it um, that I'm still trying to learn right now. Yeah. I think, I personally, I think there's a lot in it and it's um, quick plug for my other show. And I want you to come over and do a, do a deeper dive um, there too, but connecting tech and design. The whole reason that I launched that podcast was to explore that intersection of technology and design um, and, you know, sort of some of the existing challenges in any of the specific industries or across, across the trades for this and from a, from a wellness technology standpoint, you, you look at the kitchen and bath industry and with, as you've mentioned, you know, if everything is smart in the house now, you, and you mentioned the TV and down to the refrigerator and, and beyond. I mean, we're, we've talked a lot about the smart toilet and it's funny recording shows, even going back into November of last year and here, and as I re-listen to them now and we're all, you know, we're laughing about the smart toilet and honestly, we've had interior designers going, man, I'm not so sure about that. However, when you shift the conversation away from sort of, how weird it is that there's technology in the toilet and shift it to a lifestyle enhancement. And here's the thing is don't view it as just as a disease pers- you know, perspective. It can be a temporary, a temporary situation. You go skiing, you break your arm, you break your hip, you break your leg, you know, and, and though the situation isn't going to be life changing, you know, for the long term, what it, how it changes your life in the short term while you're re- rehabilitating and getting back on your feet or, you know, coming, coming back to your usual state technology can really help that. And so when you start to look at, at some of these things from that perspective, then sort of some of the quirkiness or kookiness of, of the technology start to come back in the range. And so, you know, the smart toilet, for instance, my example now, if you could voice control the flushing mechanism of the toilet, wouldn't that be nice if you had broken your right arm and you happen to use that to flush? Like, yeah. you know, that's, it's just weird, but you know, you kind of have to explain it that way. And then it goes, yeah, okay, that would be kind of nice. You know, parents, parents of children, Mike, you have many. Wouldn't it be nice if every time you heard them go, if you could just go ahead and make sure that they flushed, you know? And right. Not, <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> No, yeah, I've gotten those special treats before. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I was a big, I I questioned for a long time, like, do we really need a connected wall clock and a connected toaster oven and a connected coffee maker? But then when you start to think about the applications around health and wellness um, and those sensors and the fact that you can use that data to do good things, that's when it gets exciting, right? um, So, so yeah, I, I think that the world's going to look really different in, in five years yeah. um, with all this connectivity and all this data and how people develop applications around it. Yeah, totally. And to kind of keep it, to keep it in perspective of the industry is I think that therein lies the timeline on some pretty amazing opportunities. And much as Mike was saying it to you guys and gals listening of, of the well, the health and wellness technology side being an opportunity the sort of the, the smart, the, the evolution of the smart home and every aspect of it, including kitchen, bath, um, health, wellness, all of those things. Those are all opportunities for you. And Michael, I'm going to remind you of a tagline that you guys used to use, which is on the network, on the home. I, I fully feel that this is another kind of instance of that type of a sentiment, which is own these technologies and continue to own the home. Ooh, don't. And 
don't, (laughs) you know, um, and, you know, I think five, I even think, you know, the the evolution of this, I think the next, this next year is going to to be really, really dynamic. And then from there, that next three year period beyond, I think we're just, we're just going to see a continued increase of, of additional technologies and trades that are all vying for the same space in the residence. So it's kind of one of those where I see it is get in early and get, you know, get a good strong foothold here because it's going to impact your work one way or another, whether you're involved in it or not, or just watching somebody else get involved in it and take, you know, take a little bit more control of the home. So, yeah. So there's actually, um, there's a big, uh, I don't know what's the right way to think about them. A family foundation, um, who's out doing some advocacy. They do a lot of support for, for diabetes and, and other things. Um, but one of the things they're touting is this concept of a continuous glucose monitor CGM is the technology I've been talking about calling it a CGM geek squad uh, as a way for people to relate to what they're doing. And I think what it shows is that there are opportunities to take a well-trained workforce and in people's homes, help them get more comfortable with technology of any kind. And we've been saying that I've been saying that for a long time, right? Um, you are going to be the technologists in the home and that range of technologies you're going to support is going to get more and more diverse. And now I'm seeing it from a healthcare perspective because there is value to having somebody that can help you do the first installation, help you hook it up, help, help you hook this up, help you get connected to your um, telemedicine system um, to consult with your doctors and your training teams Boots on the ground is one way to think about it, but well-trained um, and, and high-service boots on the ground. Uh, like I think that's that's pretty interesting. And the fact that they're kind of using the Geek Squad <laughs> analogy, I, I think, was a was also really interesting to see. Definitely caught my attention. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, so are you are you also a little bit of this this Geek Squad? Um, that's that's kind of my my segue of um so as the integration community listens to this if they want to get um involved in this are you uh, are you available for for hire so to speak or you know for, to, to kind of help navigate some of these projects or um how do you even have room for that in your life <laughs> right. yeah so you know i feel like in a lot of ways this is still we're taking a pretty academic approach to this because there's still a lot to learn and we are still kind of early in this evolution um that I would love to get engaged with some integrators on projects and start to explore other use cases and a way to, we can apply similar technologies to overcoming obstacles or helping people. So yes, um, I think that's one of the areas I'm definitely focused on a little more kind of going into CDA just to get a feel for what's out there and what the appetite is. Cause I think it could be huge. Um, and then, you know, depending on how that goes, you can figure out ways to make that more efficient and to bring those solutions to a broader market but it all starts with custom. Um, and that's what I think is so awesome about the CI community. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So it sounds like you're going to be at CDA Expo. Yes. 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 The CDA technology council meeting is Monday. So I will be there all week. Um, yeah. <laughs> good. Mike will be there all week. Tip for servers. Uh, yeah. Yep. Good, 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 good. Okay. So, well, let's see, let's, let's get some contact information going here. Um, I guess I'll let you kind of go in the order of, order of, of the flow here, um, Better Living Technologies, and then for you personally. Yeah, so uh, Better Living Tech, you can find it, um, all the info is on the website, betterlivingtech.net. Um, just go there. You can find me on Twitter, at GT Scalco. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you, My email is on the website, phone number is there. So uh, reach out to me, whoever you'd like. Um, just make note. Um, hey, listen to 
the podcast and love what you were saying. Want to talk more. Um, I'd love to, to connect and see what, what people have. There are a lot of really creative and brilliant minds um, in the, in kind of in this world too. So um, great perspectives that I, I like getting that perspective on, on things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm sure as, you know, as, as people who listen to this podcast, you, I, I'll be very interested to see or hear the comments that you and the feedback that you get as well as how big the imminent impact this is for the community. Um, I bet you, I bet you it's pretty sizable. Um, be interesting to see what those numbers are. So I think Anyways, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for taking, taking the time. I know it's, uh, it, you are, I was joking at the beginning of where in the world are you, but, um, it is a little unusual for you to be on terror, terror firm. And I know you're, you're, you're off to London here in a bit and, and elsewhere. So. <laughs> All over so, the place. Yeah. Uh, it's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> Just like Just thinking about it, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. yep exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, keep us posted on progress with other living technologies. And uh, as we get closer to the expo, I'll definitely, I'll, I'll definitely call on you to come over and have a chat with connecting tech and design and dive a little bit deeper into um, sort of the technologies and, and the design aspects of, of those things and what's transpired since then. But I'll definitely catch up with you at CDA Expo in September in Denver. Uh, for those of you listening, I'm sure you know, but CDA is an acronym and it's CEDIA, which is the Custom Electronic Design and Installation Association. Um, there is also the CDA Expo, CEDIA Expo, two different two different things. CDA is the organization, Expo is a trade show. Look them up on the Googles and you find them. Um, lean in, learn more. And if you're not a member, consider that if you're an integrator in the uh, and if you're not, there's lots more to learn about what CDA does and what a CDA um, integration, integration firm looks like and why you should partner with them for your next project. So uh, that was a nice little plug for CDA. Mike, uh, one more time with your uh, with your uh, email address, if you would. Yep. So it's betterlivingtech.net is the website. Mike M at betterlivingtech.net is the email. At GT Scalco is the Twitter. Uh, so that's how you can find me. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right. Well, thanks again for your time. I'm Katie McCracken. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm Katie McGregor Bennett, your host of AV Trade Talk. This has been a conversation with Mike Maniscalco of Better Living Technologies, also the Tech Council and all things IoT. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you again on another episode.